Welcome to Story Arc, Episode 7. This is a podcast where I develop story arcs with the help of guests and you, the audience, in the Fey Realms universe. I'm Trevor Sutton, and my guest today is Charlotte. Let's create! We are live, or, you know, as live as we're going to get. <laughs> All right, so in last week's episode... We discussed and went over a lot of the detail concerning the interrogator, which is the character that's running this subgroup inside the school. Mainly, the interrogator is basically trying to get back to the Fey world because of a couple things. Uh, he thinks uh, Tatiana, his only real mother figure, is in trouble, and he wants to get back and kind of save her. And once you've gone over there and eaten their food, if you don't have your memory wiped as a child, you still remember all the stuff, so everything here seems very bland. And there's a lot of old Irish folklore where if you eat the, the berries from the fairy world, you, can't, you become addicted to it, and nothing else will ever taste as good. And I'm developing something along those lines where they have a, a certain fruit or whatever when you eat it it automatically tastes like what you want and gives you the nutrients you need and this is something the fairies have kind of cultivated so this guy's been addicted to this stuff because he didn't have his mind completely wiped by oberon when he was kicked back and uh so now he's you know everything just now, sucks is this, it, help me make sure that i've got all the dots connected the um, the interrogator is Marshall, is that right? Yes, ma'am. Okay, fantastic, great. Yes, and uh, yeah, so, and in fact, I've added to the notes too. I've kind of like uh, narrowed down the timeline a little bit, so it looks, it, it kind of flows a little better. Uh, so Marshall was kicked back, uh, kidnapped back in the 1780s, um, and basically he's been kind of held in this child state because he's one of uh, Tatiana's favorites for a long time. But then Oberon decides he wants to take over, so just out of precaution, just before she's kicked out of there, she sticks all these children's and babies into stasis to make sure that they're not harmed. And then around 2003, our time, from 1780s to 2003, these kids were kept in stasis. And then uh, Oberon, I guess, got around after he was done partying, got around to releasing them back to Earth. Interesting. Okay. <laughs> nice. So, and I think I think that'll kind of make the. Uh, because I don't want to mess around with the, the, the time. Like, I, I'm, a lot of time people will say, well, time goes faster, or a lot of storylines will go, time goes faster in the fame realm, or it goes slower. And I want to kind of avoid certain things because it makes it a lot easier if everything's kind of congruent. And that way we can have it in the same universe, too, just differing, maybe differing, what do you call it? The solar system. There we go. God. Oh, sorry. Gotcha. Jeez. Yeah, you, know, you definitely don't want to mess around with, I mean, the time travel aspect, there's, you know, it's very interesting and stuff, but if I learned anything from A Wrinkle in Time in the fifth grade, it's that oh, yeah. you, if you can avoid it, you probably should. <laughs> Let's get down to brass tacks here. All um, right, Bernie. Where did we, where did we finish talking about? I think we were talking about Marshall and his, I think that's, and you. And sort of his quest. Yes. Um. To, yeah, his quest to, to get back. And that's, in fact, that's a. Uh, um, that'll be the, the driving motivation and plot point behind everything. So why the school's having certain issues, because he's going to try and frame them to put things under certain things, under certain stresses. Have you decided whether or not the sort of overseers of the school that are looking to detect, um, you know, these powers and things like that, have, have we decided whether they're like benevolent or not? No, no. In fact, I haven't really discussed that with anybody. They they really seem to shy away from any type of government agency or um, because it's very – it's hard to 
say they're a bad or a good guy. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and right now I know I, I don't want to frame them as a bad guy. They, they want to do things as a necessary evil. They want to be able to control these, these people because they're very powerful. And then, and at the same time, you know, they're, they're controlling and they're doing their, their methods may seem, you know, bad to the people that it's happening to at this, you know, of course, but it, right, right, right. They so they're a necessity. I mean, just like all things, not everybody will be happy. And sometimes, you know, the governing body makes mistakes and does wrong things or, you know, they can be one person is corrupt and the rest are, you know, uh, have good intentions. The other thing I like to explain to people is that everybody and every group is the hero of their own story. Nobody sees themselves as a bad guy. Absolutely. Do you mind if I give you sort of my little notes that I put down on that, on that particular like facet of your storyline? Please lay it down. That sounds excellent. Fantastic. So I had this idea that they would be called the Watchers. It seemed sort of, you know, big brothery, but, you know, still like a little bit of a, a mysterious sense to it. Um, and then have them have a totem so that the people that are part of this have some sort of small identifying um like, you know, a pennant or a, a pin or, you know, something along those lines so that it's like a kind of a membership thing. Um, and my thought was, and you're going to have to apologize, or I'm sorry, you're going to have to apologize. I demand that you apologize to me right now. I'm going, to, <laughs> I'm going to have to apologize because I, I went really down the rabbit hole on this. So um, don't, don't get too freaked out about what a gigantic no, 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 no. nerd I am. Let's dive in. Um, this is, I mean, it's already sounding kind of, I mean, like I said, we, I've never discussed or gone in depth with these guys. So far, everybody's made their own characters, but it sounds like you've got an idea of where you want to go, and I definitely want to hear it. Let's awesome. Let's Fantastic. head down the hole. Fantastic. So I was thinking that for the totem, it could be an owl, like their symbol is this owl. Um, and one of the reasons why I was thinking that specifically um, is because I was, you know, looking up things about ravens and they don't really have a lot of natural predators. In fact, I did see somewhere that they were described as um, feathery balls of murder. Yeah. Um, so they're, they're not really, uh, you know, low on the, the scale of predator prey. So what I found out though was um, that owls and ravens or any part of that raven family, crows, um, what was the other one that I wrote down to? Crows or rooks, um, anything that is part of the corvus or corvidae, like genus species. <laughs> Are you detecting some of the nerd? <laughs> no, 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 no. It's, it's a high level intelligence as far as I'm concerned. I think it's, you've got some great stuff. I, this is exactly what I like doing. So, awesome. Uh, yeah. So the, the thing that I found out is, and this is just sort of a, a loose quote from um, some information that I was looking at, in a battle of enemies that dates back to before humans evolved, crows and owls have been at war with each other. Both families of birds are genetically imprinted with an intense, strong dislike of the other family. Without ever having seen an owl, a newly fledged crow instinctively, aggressively knows in its being that it does not like the owl. What? So that when is I was, freaking amazing. And not only that, but it's got a Watchman-esque kind of nod to things. Yeah, I thought it sounded cool. Plus, so here was my like little why off of, you know, thought Marshall has developed this 
fraternity, right? He's, he's sort of doing his own thing. There's like the overall program where, you know, as you flourish in the arts um, and sort of reveal your powers or, or your powers are revealed to you, you become part of, you know, um, Ethan's group. Yes. But Marshall has these like, you know, he's sort of pulling people away. So my thought was that that group could be called like the Corvidae. So they would, you know, they'd have that sort of identification with the raven crow kind of species. And then the watchers would be the owls and it would sort of like nicely juxtapose them sort of automatically against one another. Because in my imagination, Marshall is preying on the manipulated or easy to be manipulated people with powers that can be lured away and he's sort of charming them and, you know, brainwashing them in essence, because he has this singular focus of getting back and freeing Tatiana. It not only works perfectly, but it also fits in with the storyline since Tatiana is kind of her, her spirit animal, I guess, if you will, is a crow when she was younger as a, as, cause I'm going to have another series of children's books. She's going to have a crow as a, as a mountain cause they don't develop their wings till they're, um, they're teenagers basically. Oh, okay. And then later on she gets turned into a crow because of some of the stuff that happens with Oberon or a, a raven, excuse me. Um, Fantastic. And I remember that the raven was, um, something that, you know, was essentially like a, um, uh, overseer, fairy godmother, whatever for Addie. She's being watched over by Tatiana in her raven form, right? Exactly, exactly. And also, this guy Marshall, he has bonded to Tatiana. He thinks of her as his mother. And, and Tatiana, and, and since he has that bond, he'd know about her her kind of a, a affiliation with ravens, which would be kind of like a nod to her in that aspect. Like, oh, you know, you know, I love ravens because I love Tatiana, and I'm I'm gonna make this group kind of reflect that it'll be kind of my own little personal thing right and he's creating kind of essentially like an army of sorts you know to to fulfill his you know life's quest and in the same sort of i guess tie in with the fact that he's sort of um he's taking kind of the weaker of those that have powers those that are you know have insecurities and things like that people like i said who can be manipulated by his um narcissism and i kind of thought because he was put into a human orphanage that maybe his like bullying the the capacity that he has for that is like a learned behavior like that's why from being inside the orphanage he was placed in maybe he had a, like a really rough time yeah exactly because i mean you know it's sort of standard you know foster homes are supposed to be really difficult and orphanages are very you know tough and i was thinking that maybe that could kind of be you know his quest seems noble you know from you know where he's coming from in his heart but the way he's going about it there's like a darkness to it he's you know sort of doesn't care who he hurts to get there kind right. of thing very callous towards human life in fact right that's i mean that's you're you're hitting the nail right on the head and as far as as far as what i had envisioned for him a lot of this stuff and that's why he's in acting a lot of this this, this stuff he's doing he cares nothing for this planet or its inhabitants it, it means nothing to him, not not one iota. And and he's gotten so well at pretending like it does that he that he's good at acting. He's good at uh, 
hiding what his inside is. And for yeah, the- he can turn on the like the appropriate thing. He can, you know, be very charming and um, charismatic and, and pull people in. He can lure somebody to him. But then once he has them, there's almost like a spell that he, you know, his personality and his um, sort of aura casts over somebody. So he has this like little loyal trove of soldiers, you know, that he manipulates and, you know, gets to uh, work on his quest with him. Yes. Oh, man, Charlotte, that's amazing. That, wow. <laughs> I'm, I'm impressed. I'm oh, good. Well, your your story is very um, inspiring. It's actually one of the reasons why um, Sarah suggested, she's like, you should really do this because in the very sort of, I don't know, 15 minutes that she gave me a little bit of an overview, I started like expounding upon it immediately because it just, I mean, the story is, it's so cool and it's so easy to, you know, get really like it sinks its claws into you and you want to, you know, want to do more and make more of it. So it's very, the, the material is easy to work with. That's for sure. <laughs> Excellent. I mean that, that, okay. On, on, on my creative or creator end, that, that makes me really happy that you that you feel that way because that's exactly what i've just a, a new fresh take you know on on a, a new ways so, you know, vampires and werewolves and magicians have all been kind of played out along with superheroes and i'm trying to find you know my own trope so absolutely yeah and the one last sort of um just little footnote that i had on marshall is i noticed in your character descriptions that ethan has gray eyes and marshall has gray eyes um and i was I was thinking, I was just going to suggest, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, um, like Elizabeth Taylor was sort of like famous for having these violet colored eyes. It was because of her uh, brain cancer, yes. Yeah, and so I was thinking that because it's, I mean, it can't be too otherworldly. He can't have like red, you know, or orange or something that's, you know, not of, but violet eyes might be sort of a way to make him, unique it would still be sort of a startling haunting you know thing within his eyes but then he wouldn't also have the same sort of features i guess as ethan does oh no that's uh that's that's an excellent idea and it also it also puts forth another 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 thing that could help drive him towards that insanity is because when you make a villain like i said everybody's a hero of their own story but in the end of this he's gonna he's gonna be a pure evil thing and it's hard to put someone in that position uh brain tumors and and their effect on what and how he sees reality would be an excellent edge on that especially with um what he's seen and how he's dealing with reality and everything else and this this may be another uh driver in that it could be something that's not uh, uh that's benign it just sits there but it presses on certain things and causes certain personality disorders or whatever you know it it, it helps right. along his situation and plus and you can put like whatever magic behind that like you can make that it's something that maybe tatiana placed or something that oh. oberon you know what i mean like so that there's a you know he's been like chipped essentially and <sighs> And perhaps that's like pushing on different. Now I'm getting a little sci-fi, which is kind of outside of the realm of what we're talking about. But not um, at all. Not at all. In fact, it's it's <laughs> it's right on topic. Um, the uh, the great mother and all this stuff actually stems from an ancient race, and their technology had advanced so much it seemed like magic, and then that's what they're dealing with. Is this? That's right. She's she's. It's like a, a Skynet situation where like the computers have become self-aware. <laughs> oh. 
Well, in a, in a sense. Uh, so imagine this. Um, this this ancient being created um, this – it's basically a benign um, virus that goes through and attaches and covers every cell or every every atom of matter on a planet, and it will Ooh, continue okay. to keep spreading itself. It doesn't do anything. It just coats everything in this stuff okay, okay. on a cellular level, and then each of those those coatings – can then um, talk back to uh, they can uh, they can communicate they can receive and send information from the upload and download ports on the back of these beings. So it's going to be I think it's going to be set in a vertebrae and it's going to be integrated within that bone structure. And okay. then when you see the wings, it's the 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 up wings are going to be the uploading of information to those benign things so that they can can literally control reality around them. They don't understand that this is happening. This is just how I'm kind of explaining to myself and, and moving the story along. And no, then, I, I like that. And then the the uh, the down wings or the bottom wings, and sometimes you might not even see them. Is the 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 that great mother, the great mother putting information into them, and then and basically being able to sense magic, you know. So, and that and that is the interrogator's ability. This ability to sense magic. He can't affect anything. But he can sense, and, and, and it's going to be in a big way. He basically um, – uh, everybody has larger upwings because the, the output of information is always larger than the, than the input of information. Basically, most uh, – everything can't sense it very well. They can only kind of sense it, whereas Marshall, he is going to have this huge surge of, of downwings. He's going to – because he can download all the information, I might even have him able to step out of – the influence of the magic, be able to find small pockets so that anything they try and do to him is completely nullified. Oh, nice. So we're going to make him just something, you know, at first it's not going to seem very powerful, you know, being able to, to tell somebody's lying or not and then sense magic. But later on, it's going to be something that's, that's just completely crazy. Right. Um, so it's like compounding upon itself, like the... The different layers. I like that. I like it a lot. And it'll and it'll subtly build, and then um, and then he'll become he'll become my my super villain. Um, did did you oh did you listen to episode five or six? I listened to episode five and six. Oh, excellent, excellent. Then um, you, then you understand where I'm kind of where I want to take the whole history of this thing. Where uh, Oberon's gonna kind of slap him to the side when he finally gets through all this stuff, and he's gonna be sent before this one of these ancient beings that have kept itself alive and, and basically just went completely insane, kind of like Cthulhu type of idea here. Right. And all of a sudden, uh, Marshall's going to appear before this guy because uh, uh, Oberon just you know, slapped him into the next, uh, next dimension. And uh, this being has been searching for this other ancient's creation for eternity, eons has gone insane in the process and basically wants to consume it or or do something with it. I have no idea. Yeah. Maybe 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 he thinks it'll 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 help his condition whatever that is. Right, um, harvest it in some way for some purpose. Exactly. And he's going to use Marshall to that end to get himself um, it's going to take I think years, but he's going to basically use Marshall to get into that the ancient's uh, uh experiments maybe he's got some kind of like blocking shields on the two planets that prevent other ancients from seeing it so they can't come in and destroy it there's still a bunch to be <laughs> fleshed out there well that's the beauty of the story is that you can i mean you can literally why off in you know 18 different directions i i did not sleep um 
super well last night because I was sitting up like just sort of imagining things. And uh, when I, I'll have to give you the rest of my little um, sort of character development notes here, but I've been thinking about this for like the past 24 hours and I'm like, a person could go insane doing this. <laughs> well, that's, that's been my problem for the last year and a half. I've, I've been developing this thing in my head and I, I literally can't stop. I, I do the same thing every night. Um, and it just keeps compounding, and I have I've I've had no outlet for it until Sarah finally came up with the idea of a graphic novel, and then and has kind of narrowed my focus. So she kind of saved my sanity in that sense because this, this thing's been building, and I've needed something for it. I've tried writing it in novels, but that's never really. It's just too much. Yeah. So and as you've seen, it's 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 too much. <laughs> it's, I mean, there's just so many facets to it, and the more you focus on like one particular character you can really delve into you know i mean I, I don't know there's something that it does to the imagination like the possibility of what the history could be of these characters or what their you know drives could be that you just find yourself it's you know it's like a wormhole but it's awesome and and what's i don't even understand it but this this podcast has has spawned so many different characters i don't even think would even the interrogator the the editor in fact uh, next season's going to be on the editor we're going to we're going to go off on that story arc so that we can branch into the fey realms from landscape and use it as a kind of a central hub from where nice. we're going to branch off and go. So we'll start off with normal humanity and then we're just going to flip everybody's world up on end. All of a sudden you're dealing with fairies or angels and demons or just, it's just going to go crazy, but it's all going to have a huge history that's already fixed in place that explains everything and makes it congruent. And I'm just, and I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I've found that you, you know, have, have kind of seen what, what I've been seeing that, 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 really makes me uh, very uh, happy oh absolutely yeah i'm geeking out hardcore so oh and yes please uh, sh uh, uh let me know what else you're thinking that i want to hear everything oh sure sure so, okay so i went over the watchers the fact that they'll have like perhaps a little like identifying feature a pin whatever um tattoo on the hand something along those lines um and then from marshall because it's this fraternity, and if he's, you know, going to call it the Corvidae, which I think just sounds kind of nice. You know, some genus and species names aren't, you know, they don't really roll off the tongue nicely, but I'm, I'm digging, I'm digging Corvidae. I think it sounds good. Now, watch, somebody way smarter than me is going to be like, Charlotte is butchering that word. That is not how it's pronounced at all. <laughs> but, all right, so we sort of developed the fact that Ethan is sort of the tutor or the um, sort of person that's in charge of identifying and training like the cream of the crop as far as, you know, people with abilities. So while Marshall is sort of like, you know, siphoning off whatever he can get, sort of the, you know, whatever extras are left, Ethan is like, you know, aiming for that like upper echelon. So the one thing that um, I heard you discussing in past episodes is the fact that it's this high stress, um, high anxiety sort of uh, internal feeling that kind of triggers whatever powers there might be. Yeah. Yes, an emotion, a heightened emotionally stressed state, and that's and also the use of that uh, left hand portion of the of the brain, kind of the the artistic portion of your brain, kind of is able to trigger it easier. Not that the right hand can't, or that they, people can't develop it anyways. It's the 
the potentiality, the the percentage wise that this right, is right, right, right. Yeah. If we're stereotyping, like that would be, you know, kind of the overall. I'm, I'm with you on that. Excellent. So for Ethan, what I imagined was that he has this pervasive sense of like urgency and distress. He's frantic. He seems overwhelmed and anxious, and he can only relax when he's playing or creating music. Um, and because stress is contagious, it pushes the students. So he's able to almost harness his own inner um, anxieties and sort of put them onto the students and sort of push them towards, you know, those triggering moments or those senses within of, you know, high anxiety, because he himself is so just, he's wound really, really tight um, until he's playing music. And maybe he has a low functioning ability that he's able to project those things onto his students. Yeah, there you go. Anything and I was, I wondered, it's sort of right, uh, the, the mind uh, reel. So the one thing that I kind of was toying around with is that that pervasive sense of, you know, just anxiety and urgency, you know, perhaps there's like a deeper source for that. Like, is there a, does he have a quota of students that he has to turn over to somebody at some point? Like, is he doing this to settle a debt of some sort? Like, he's clearly not enjoying being in this role because of, you know, his you know overwhelming anxiety and sort of um, distress. But maybe there's a reason why he keeps doing it. I think of him as a uh, high-functioning genius. Um, yeah, there you go. Which comes along with all, all this stuff comes along with that. And so maybe he forced himself to develop his ability to press this pervasive or project this pervasive feeling of anxiety because of how his mind works and what he does. Um, and it might not be, you know, really helpful in any situation except for what he's using it as. No, that makes sense. Yeah, I follow. I follow. Um, but in this sense, I also like the idea that he's it's it's not just, you know, He's got to have a pushing factor for that. Every everybody has a reason for the why they're doing things and the way they act, mm -hmm. um, and I like that. So maybe he knows something. Maybe he knows Ooh, yeah. something's going to happen, and he's trying to get people developed in this direction to stop something or to prevent something or to start something. Maybe, um, maybe in some way, not, not glimpse the future, but he knows something. Maybe something's going to happen. Maybe he knows about the ancient is coming, or he's aware of it somehow. Yeah, he's got some like sense of, you know, uh, there's an ominous something in the distance and he's almost like the foreshadowing for, you know, what may come in the future. Yeah, or or this group, this group has some high functioning sensory person like the interrogator, like Marshall, but it senses on a different level, maybe on a far reaching level and is aware of this thing. And aware of its proximity, getting closer, and has and and uh, and Ethan is is one of these high level execs of this of this group that is that has been told or you know that has access to this information, and he's kind of put two and two together as far as you know what could be happening. This thing's getting closer, and it is not it's not good for the human species. Right. And so maybe he's trying to – we've got to somehow develop some kind of shield or protection or something to fight it off or at least to hide us, you know, some way to and, – and he might not know exactly what's going on. He just know he needs to do something or else everyone's going to get wiped out. Yeah. And maybe, maybe he has like, – he could have like really vivid like nightmares or something oh, like that. Yeah. 
Like maybe he was in a oh, that person, the uh, the person. Maybe he's able to tap into it, so he's able to pass along. He can't really. Maybe it's like a mute or something, and they they Ooh. the only way they can pass this information along of these visions is because they had childhood trauma or something. Maybe he's one of the one of Marshall's uh, uh, orphans. That, you know, Marshall doesn't know about him, but maybe he's one of the orphans of Tatiana's orphans. You know, and he's been touched by this stuff and able to sense like Marshall has kind of a deal. And uh, but he was muted, or he had a you know this is the what's happened because that's completely like shut him down, almost like an autism. Right. And he can and he can show people by touching them and and giving them this vision of what's coming. So into that, I dig it. That's awesome. Maybe they keep him at a, a psychiatric ward, or or maybe underneath the school, and that could be a process of they find him out. You know, it could be another layer of of <laughs> of everything. That's man, that's good, Charlotte. That's awesome. No, I no, that's fantastic. I I love it. I love having him be mute and having to sort of uh, have this gift of like, you know, either touch transfer or like telepathy. I'm I'm super into that uh thread. <laughs> and and the and and that that'll be a good thing too cuz we'll we'll have a tie-in for everything. So, uh, you know, we know what they're scared of. You, uh, the 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 creators know, but the the audience is going to sit here and go like, "Oh, something's happening and nobody knows what." And, yeah, there's like this sense of foreboding. And the only thing that can get transferred is maybe like brief images that are completely unclear and just that feeling of whatever that ancient kind of presses off. Yeah. <laughs> I dig it. Yeah, that's sick. Um, and I think I think your idea, the, the totem, having the watchers, the owls, and then the – uh, that's that's almost it's almost too perfect. Uh, it, it flows <laughs> it flows really nicely with with Tatiana and her affiliation or her affinity. That's what the word is. Her affinity with ravens, and then the 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 enmity. It's yeah what, that one. <laughs> Their long standing uh, hatred of each other. <clears throat> I, I it it works really well with the storyline. Um, now, as far as the owl, some kind of totem, I, I, I think that'd be something we could flesh out really well. Um, I don't know about tattoos. I always have a thing about tattoos. They're, they're too permanent. It's too easy for the audience to go, there it is. And, you know, uh, why can't the other people see that what's going on? Sure. Yep. You know? Yes, for sure. But uh, Yeah, like I said, my first thought was like a, you know, like a lapel pen or I don't know, something that's like on the on the person, but you'd have to really be really looking for it before you'd notice it. Did you ever see the Adjustment Bureau? The Adjustment? No, I don't think I've seen that. So it's Matt Damon and um, Emily Blunt. And so essentially there's these like overseers of the universe and they're guiding people to their path. The path has already been written and determined and, you know, there's various interludes into it, but for the most part, everybody sort of stays on the same trajectory. And, and these, the people that are part of the adjustment bureau help with that. And they have to, to utilize their powers, they have to be wearing these bowler hats. And so like everybody's got a bowler hat. Now it doesn't always have to be that it could be a ball cap or whatever else, but it's something that's, it's common enough that, you know, if you saw it, you wouldn't think anything of it. But because, you know, it's connected to this power, like once you know that as the reader or the watcher or whatever, um, you're like, oh, God, that guy's wearing a hat. Like something's about to happen. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Oh, well, 
because we gotta it's gotta be something you can you can really move around in. So having a, yes. a, a lapel pin or something else, you're not gonna wear a suit in the in the in the uh, fight. Uh, but glasses. Ooh. I mean, they're already called the Watchers. Oh. And so, I mean, that, you could have sunglasses. That was a, that was a pure moment of. Uh, I'm having like heart palpitations. That was like a pure moment of creative genius. I'm super into that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that's. I mean, this is one of the issues I've always had. I, I could never figure out why I can't go further with my storylines, but I can always talk about it and have you know back and forth, and I can come up and and really manipulate that, but. By myself, I can't do anything. Well, I, I started doing this with my wife and going back and forth. I, was, I realized, man, this would be good in the podcast, and I could talk to people. And it, it, it just, well, and, and and this is so. This is the the product, you know. This, yes. but yes, I, I think, and and in fact, because most glasses will have a uh, an identifying marker of their brand on the side, will be like an Oakley or uh, Chanel or whatever. Um, we could have a, uh, some kind of owl symbol. And in fact, the W for for Watchmen, um, we can have the W, the owl's eyes. I love it. Yeah, that's kind of so. I I was looking at, um, you know, just to try to think of like a small, like obviously I don't want it to be like you know an owl figurine. That would be far too heavy-handed. But um, I was thinking of like if it, you know, that W. Have you ever seen? I'm going to, I feel like a gigantic nerd saying this out loud, but, um, are you familiar with Drake? Drake as in the singer or yeah, the, the rapper Drake? I don't, I don't, I, I've never gotten heavily into rappers. I've, I've, I've done like third eye blind and, uh, smashing pumpkins back in the day, but now, oh yeah, sure. Now no, well, so he has this, um, I don't know if it's like his inner network or whatever. Anyways, it's OVO and the symbol that they have of OVO is oh, it's like a bird face. <laughs> yes, it looks like a bird face. So I was kind of thinking along those lines. Oh, and uh, see, and we could do something really not, I mean, fairly similar with the uh, with with the W. I think it would even just because of the shape of the W you could easily. Um, in fact, I know a. Uh, a uh, what do you call it? Someone who creates symbols for businesses and stuff, um, and she's really good with working with symbols and stuff like that. So I might be able to get something really neat drawn up for that. <laughs> I'm I'm so into it. I think it's fantastic. <laughs> I mean, I, there's some there's some really neat routes we could go along with that because a lot of their uh, paraphernalia, uh, maybe uh, a telescope to see certain things. Maybe they'll have something that can pierce the veil of certain things or. Or whatever that, that yeah. could work in that direction. Just the whole being able to see things, um, but and to that end though, we still have the issue of connecting the watchers and why they have this. Uh, they do have a group or several groups of detain, detect, and destroy, mm -hmm. uh, which uh, Piper uh, is part of. She's one of the the the, the destroy parts of those groups. Right. Um, and then what I'd need is, is uh, you know, obviously they'd have uh, a well-established and they go and train and stuff and do stuff together to make sure that they can work well. Um, so I need I need to create uh, characters and reasons why this uh, these groups are 
are contained within this uh, the watchers. Man, I really like that. You 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 really hit hit the you know the yeah, I hate to use this this thing again, but the nail on the head. I I think it works really well. God, I'm so glad. I had a lot of fun, kind of just you know toying around with it. <laughs> oh man. Uh, in fact, so I, we I have. Oh, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 please. <laughs> Um, I'm just saying later on we can probably do a story arc on the creation of uh, the Watchers or at least a mini series, you know, showing how and why they came together and what they're doing at the school and stuff. Oh, sure, like how they came to be, why they're in this position, because it's kind of like a governing body to sort of a checks and balances situation, like you know, making sure things don't get tipped too far in one direction or the other. Um, oh, yeah. That, and the There's government can definitely have a heavy hand in this too. I mean, it doesn't. And a lot of times, the the government will, will have these um, groups, and they'll just funnel off a certain amount of money, and then ask for results later on in paperwork, and they won't really even know what's going on. So, right. you know, we can have them get their funding and stuff, and and but not be completely until something happens, and maybe that agency can get switched up later and become something more ominous or scary or helpful, you know, whatever. Sure. Sure. So real neat we can go in that direction. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, and yeah, what were you about to say? Oh, so I was going to say I, I just had two um, more characters that I kind of um, just delved in, a, a little bit lesser with Piper and then a little bit more with Addie. So I just wanted to kind of give you my notes on, on that. Um, so Piper... Um, I don't know why I'm so fixated on um, sort of the imagery of the eyes. You have her with, you know, she's sort of mousy and introverted, keeps her eyes down, like doesn't make a lot of eye contact. I was thinking that that might be because she has black eyes. And it's difficult to tell right away, but if you make like prolonged eye contact with her, they are like inky depths. There's intensity there. They're like mirrors almost they're so so dark um and i was thinking that might be like you know part of her i don't know just overall appearance where um like if you if you mess things up like you know as we find that uh the reporter is going to do um he'll know that something terrible is about to happen because she makes intense eye contact with him and he can see you know essentially that there's something otherworldly or ominous about her well, funny enough, let's see here. There's a uh, syndrome called the Audi syndrome, uh, and basically what happens is it causes the uh, the eyes to dilate uh, either too little or too much when it reacts mm. to light. So okay. they'll open up really big, and it'll look like the whole iris is black, and maybe that's mm -hmm. why you know she does certain things and. Um, uh, She's crazy as it is, and it and, right. and this could be you know one of the reasons why she's kind of standoffish or mousy or whatever, because mm. um, she doesn't a she doesn't want people to see how you know because they can tell when they talk to her if they're if they're involved too much or and she doesn't try and keep an active lid on it they can tell you know mm -hmm. something's something's not correct here, um, and this uh, uh, Addy syndrome actually looks like it would go. Right, right along well with that, like an over-dilated pupil. Nice, and that would look very sort of, you know, it's it's not totally, you know, abnormal because people's eyes dilate all the time, but it would be just far, like just blown out wide enough that you'd be like, 
oh dear, something something terrible is about to happen. Well, it says here that it can happen when you get too much blood flow or a sweat. And so oh. what I'm thinking is, is when she activates her power or when she lets loose and she becomes kind of crazy, her eyes fully dilate and it, they become black because nice. of this Addy syndrome. Yeah. And so you can tell like, and it's, and, and for her, and that's why she's mousy and always introverted. You can tell when she starts or cause she, maybe she has a real tenuous hold on that crazy part of her that just wants, she, she knows she's powerful. She knows nothing can stand up to her, but she can't show it to anybody. And it's absolutely driving her nuts. So oh, when sure. she, she gets those moments, her eyes just completely go black because of this Addy syndrome. And she knows people can see that. And that's why she's so keeping her head down all the time. And look yeah. mousy. But in reality, she's just crazy, power hungry, you know, loves doing her job type of girl. Exactly. Yeah. Like it's very thinly veiled, but she's she's doing her utmost. Yeah, I love that. That's great. I I had no idea that was a syndrome. Neither did I. I, I checked out I, in fact just when you said that, I said, Well, I can't really have inky black eyes, but I like the idea of and I'm like, Oh, maybe and then it and sure enough, there's always some kind of disorder. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Thank goodness for WebMD and Wikipedia, right? <laughs> Diagnosing ourselves all the time. <laughs> Somebody's malady is my story arc. <laughs> yes, that's beautiful. I like that. That should be, like, if you ever write a book, like, that should be the tagline. Like, <laughs> Trevor Sutton, somebody else's malady is my story arc. Oh, man. That's <laughs> awful and funny at the same time. That's good. <laughs> oh. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, the one other thing about Piper that um, when you and Sarah were talking about, like, she keeps sand in her pockets or maybe she's like a little dusty with it, like now and again, and nobody noticed. I so in my head, I was thinking, like, my imagination of what she might look like. She's mousy and sort of has like projects this meek like persona. But I think of her as being a little bit more polished than that. Um, and I was thinking what you could do instead is, you know, she's she's an art student. She's working with glass. She's going to have her hair up always like to keep it out of her face. And girls use those chopsticks to, you know, like they wind their hair up in a bun and they put, you know, the two chopsticks through essentially just to hold it in place. And I was thinking that she could have like a signature like she always has these in and they're made out of glass. We can, we, we can tell, Charlotte, you are a font of good ideas. We can take <laughs> it even further than that. The chopsticks, since she has control over sand like she does, can be made of silicate, just particulates that she's keeping together in chopstick form in her hair. Yeah. So that she can separate it and put it together at will because she can do more than just um, – she can Bend control it. each particular, each right. particulate, and, and do things with that. So maybe, you know, uh, I don't, there, there's stuff she can do with that, and, and that's a way to keep it there and maybe even hide or confuse people with her ability so she can, like, throw her chopsticks at somebody, and it just looks like that she's able to really good aim or maybe – you know what I mean? So nobody's right. really sure what she does, but in reality, it's just this – it's just sand held together right. by her mind in chopstick right. form. That's that's sick. And it could be out in the open all the time and she could always be like playing with it, but her hair is always messy or yes. not, or just that's oh, that that gives her such she she feels real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Right, right, right. And she could have like a you know, sort of a a tick with it where like one is in her hair and the other she's, you know, if she's like anxious or nervous, she's like tapping it or, yeah. you know, 
like a pen where you like keep one end in your mouth, you know, while you're thinking or whatever. Always has it there. That's man. That's oh, that's good. That we can do so much with that. That's yay. <laughs> I'm glad. Yeah, I, I told you. I I warned you that I had geeked out really hard about this, and I <laughs> I am delivering on that promise. <laughs> <laughs> Well, uh, this is excellent. I mean, I, I'm definitely going to have you on for future shows. This is going to be awesome. Oh, yeah, happy to, for sure. So I'll give you sort of my last little um, thing here. And so I was thinking about Addie, um, and I was thinking that um, just from appearances, I know she has blonde hair, and I was thinking of having it be, like, wild and curly, like – kind of like a mermaid hair situation, like where it's, it's beautiful, but like unkempt. Um, and this is just from a strictly aesthetic perspective. Um, it would be so easy to, I mean, it would always essentially look the same, whether or not she just teleported to the side of a mountain or not. Like, you know what I mean? Like she would always be, uh, she'd always still look like her instead of looking as like, she just got like drug backwards through a keyhole. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's got like a mind of its own type of deal. Yeah. Yeah. And it sort of speaks to her like, you know, uncontrolled or like wild, you know, um, nature or gifts or, you know, tenuous control over her abilities and stuff. I don't know. So that was just a, a thought I had. Do you have a computer screen in front of you or is this attached? To I do. Um, yeah. Can, let me, let me see if I can do this real quick. I want to show you something. Okay. Let's see if it pops up for you. Did anything pop up there? I see my little fox icon on Skype. Oh, that's it? Okay. So it doesn't look like I can share screen. Anyways, uh, Sarah, if you go to her website, um, check it out, and uh, you'll see uh, what I'm trying to share with you. Uh, oh, great. But uh, basically, she drew Addison. <gasps> Ooh, I can't wait to see it. Well, you just described her. Oh, did I? <laughs> Inception. <laughs> It's, uh, I mean, it's uncanny what you, what you just did. So, uh, she, <laughs> you need to check it out. It's part of her Ink Turbo series. Oh, uh, is it? Yeah, okay. yeah. And it looks, I mean, <laughs> just spot on. And because when she first brought up the drawings, she says, I, I'm trying to draw Tatiana's, um, character model, like this, the figure I want to kind of practice for her. And she showed it to me. I'm like, that's not Tatiana. And then we both stopped for a second. And we're like at the same time. That's Addison. That's, that's <gasps> the lead character for. Is it the clock? Yes, that's her. Oh, that's fantastic. That's perfect. That's exactly like it's not formed. It's just oh my god. And I freaked out. The, so Sarah showed me this drawing like in her beautiful like leather bound um, you know book, and I like lost my mind. And then immediately tried to convince her to get that um, clock as a tattoo because it looks like a badass tattoo. <laughs> She she is she's something else. I I am I am truly amazed whenever she puts out any of her artwork. I, I it is just amazing. And it um, have you been able to see some of the stuff she's done for uh, the Ascension of Oberon and the Wild Hunt? Yes. So um, I saw that's how we started talking about this. Um, it was the Wild Hunt. That was the story that she was telling me. And she had her book with her, and we were going through the pictures. Oh man, yeah, that was that was fun coming up with that. She. She really like uh, started something there. I mean, that's a full that's a full uh, 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 graphic novel that I'm that I'm doing off of that one. It's gonna be really neat, and that's how they're gonna decide how uh, 
the uh, future king of the fairies is gonna is gonna come. Basically, you'll volunteer to be part of the wild hunt. And then right, the, but you the, don't know you're going to be turned into. You are the thing being hunted. Oh no 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 no! Every the the males will show up on the on the hunting grounds and they'll oh, go. Okay. okay, you've got ten minutes. Go and you run off in the forest. Anything's fair game, but you can't fly anymore. Their wings are taken away by the the oh. traditions of the hunt. And then what happens is is as Tatiana and I think we're going to have some kind of ritual where she takes a skull or something and places it on her head. It transforms the rest of the populace into these nightmare monsters, and she's leading it as the huntsman to hunt these down, and the last one alive is the king. Oh, very cool. Yeah. Like and we're going to have Oberon, because uh, Tatiana didn't know Oberon was going to join, and so she had uh, her, her lover, where the, her guard, her royal guard that's been guarding her this whole time, kind of developed a relationship. And as also Oberon's friend, he says, I'm going to join the hunt, and I'm going to be your king. Well... Oberon shows up on the field that day, and then during the process of the hunt, either has her kill him or trips him up and has him killed. But that's why she's heck a standoffish when they finally get married and everything happens. She she is not interested in him whatsoever. Because he going. essentially like sabotaged what she was trying to do. But it was part of his plan in the beginning to be part of that. It wasn't anything he could really avoid. He he you know he he'd already had this plan to become king and he and as we watch the uh, or as we make the graphic novels everywhere he goes and everything he does it'll be without wings he'll be running or walking, so oh. it, it'll lead up to that point. That's just kind of like an Easter egg. So and yeah, no, I I love that sort of stuff. I think that's awesome. <laughs> Um, oh, okay. Let's. Uh, we got it. I, see, I, I do it. I get off traffic, uh, tr- off topic, real easy here. Um, oh yeah. So I liked um, your idea with um, Ethan and uh, Marshall separating their eyes because of eye color. But I actually had another idea here. Oh sure. Because Marshall was kidnapped as a baby so long ago. Um, he could have, and that was one of the reasons why Tatiana kept him around because he was a favorite and why he was there for so long because mm-hmm. of his violet eyes. Yeah. And that's a very rare, and it's all, I think it's, uh, it could be hereditary, like only, you know. Um, so she puts a stop on that tumor. Um, but uh, Ethan, maybe he keeps contacts in, and it makes his eyes look gray, but his eyes are actually violet because he's an ancestor of uh, 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 Marshall. Ooh, I like that. And that could be, and again, these are just things that are set up so that later on down the line, things can happen. Uh, different story arcs that are completely, you know, whatever things are revealed to to do certain things. And this is just stuff in the background that won't be revealed anywhere near the book's end, but right. but is a neat tie-in for later. Yeah, absolutely. It gives it gives like depth to it where you're you're invested because you only the people who have gone through the entire series will be able to pick out, you know, pick up on those types of things. Right. Or, or, and it can be revealed later though. Like maybe they have a, a point where, where Ethan is, is really a good guy and he tries to turn, um, he, he realizes what's been going on and how Marshall has been turned by this ancient being. He goes, I'm your family. Your family isn't dead. And da, 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 da. You need to come back. And at that last second, that's what turns Marshall and stops the thing from happening. And, you know, Ooh. there's just some real neat depth we can get in there. We, Absolutely. Yeah, take it and, and run with it. Like I said, I mean, this was just my frantic, um, sleepless uh, <laughs> ideas last night. So I, I love it. That's a fantastic way to kind of tie them together. I, I think that's awesome. What was the other thing? What do you, what are your thoughts on the uh, detection? You know, I, and the, the the triple D is right now. I, I don't even know what else to call that. Oh, those, sure, yeah, yeah. Those groups, but I need to develop 
I need to develop some kind of because I've got Piper, the you know she can kill people. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm I'm vaguely working on um, this this dude that can detect the ancient as as being uh, an overall detection agent. He can if he narrows in focus, he can tell who and what abilities, or or he can just tell who has a special ability or whatnot. And is able to yeah, that was just your, that was the fifth episode, right? Yeah, exa- well, well, I'm talking about the one you and I just made right now. Oh, 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 I see, I see. Okay, mute. I'm sorry. Yeah, so oh, maybe yes, maybe okay. uh, the destruction and detain unit, those two, uh, maybe they work in teams, and, okay. and in order to get their assignments, they go and talk to this dude, and and uh, and this dude will touch them on the forehead, and it'll match them up perfectly to their assignment, and they'll go and watch this subset of people, and they'll be mm-hmm. whether they need to detain or destroy. You know what I mean? Nice. Yeah. So, so Piper, Piper needs a teammate, a person she's affiliated with. And again, the, the audience doesn't need to know, but maybe because Piper either gets killed or something happens to her later, this person mm-hmm. makes themselves known at this point or something happens. Nice. Um, what do you think um, as far as what this person can be maybe uh, – as far as ability-wise, uh, gender, uh, the reasons behind that. I mean, it could be some. Maybe it's a, a a lover that Piper has that she doesn't tell anybody about. Right. Yeah, I think uh, so. When you guys, when you were talking, the reason I was talking about the fifth episode is because you were. I think it was the. Um, it was sort of developing. I think Marshall. I. I can't keep them all straight in my head right now, but regardless, the idea that sort of um, came to me was the idea of like radio frequencies. I mean, something that is, you know, rooted in reality, but like something that if you were sensitive to it, you could pick up like when somebody dials into a certain station, like, you know, somebody could feel that and sort of sense that type of thing. And that, I mean, that they would be, you know, kind of part of that, um, the ability to see, you know, those types of things. Oh, the well. Oh, and you're talking in a sense to, to Marshall as to how he's doing his interrogative type of deal. Uh, no, I was thinking more of um, the mute. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, oh. Like different radio frequencies, like on the radio. You want to listen to this radio station. Yeah, and so if he's looking, if he's part of like creating the, you know, the perfect team or whatever of the, um, the people that are part of the Watchers or whatever, that, um, you know, that ability to like you know, see if somebody's on that same frequency. It's like, you know, he can tell like, oh, it's not a really great connection. It's, I mean, there's too much static, you know, they're not strong enough there, whatever. Or it's like a super strong, you know. Oh, he could tell their their compatibility. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because Piper's crazy as hell. Can the mute, can she, can can the mute be like her co-conspirator? Or oh, her, her certainly he's just kept out of, out of sight. I'm thinking because of the way he is and what he's attached to, I think a lot of his time is going to be worrying or detecting this ancient thing, and he'll be brought out of it by the Watchers. They'll, they'll come to him and say, okay, uh, we need you to focus on this for a second, and you can go back to what you're doing. And he's kind of kept in a psychiatric ward because of that thing. Um, but he, he can like – like a fitting hat, the sorting hat and uh, whatever, he'll, he'll put teams together, and he's more of that detection part. I, what we need for Piper is, is a someone to kind of give her a, a, a modicum of control or something in that direction. Oh, sure. Or, and b the detaining part. The, their ability is going to be to to detain people who are kind of out of control, and they only oh, bring. Oh, they should be an empath for sure. 
Yeah. Like, like somebody who can sense and manipulate um, the, not just, you know, not like what Ethan does, like where he's like projecting his own internal anxieties and stuff, but somebody who can. Um, oh, or he can project other people's anxieties too. So he can oh, point yeah. at, man, that, okay, sorry. <laughs> no, 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 that's, that's perfectly, yeah. So like he, um he's got this ability to like sense. And so he can make you calm and he can, as far as like detainment goes, if you feel peaceful and like nothing is wrong, yeah, you'll be the most docile yeah, prisoner or, you know, whatever detainee. Um, and that would also help Piper as well, because she has this like tell of her eyes, like sort of getting, you know, her pupils blowing out black. Um, he could, be have, sort of an, an aid to her to keep her calm when he knows that's about to happen. We're going to have the college drug dealer. His nickname's going to be Norco because that's what he deals in. <laughs> that's awesome. The pacifier name. I like this idea of our detaining guy being this, he can project this feeling of, of calm on somebody and just make them completely like just mellow out. No yeah. No matter what. Right. Um, what kind of background do you think someone would like that have? Do you want Norco to be Piper's like counterpart, or are you looking to create a, 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 a like a, another person with a similar type of ability, um, but more calming and instead of like getting you stoned out of your mind? Okay, he's not going to be he's not going to be really part of the storyline for a while, or he's going to be something that's kind of in the background. Maybe he can affect things from that. I, I know exactly what we're going to do. Okay. Uh, because of and, and just and it fits his name perfectly he is piper's drug dealer and a lot of people have you know drug addictions that they that nobody ever catches on so maybe piper mm -hmm. is addicted to drugs and maybe that's why these two gel so well together and she's the only he's really the only person he can kind of you know gel with in this fashion and so deeply because a he's her drug dealer and she trusts them you know, mm -hmm. and, and gets her, you know, what she needs to feel normal around people instead of so psychotic or so crazy. Right. And that way he can only, you know, maybe, maybe he pops in every once in a while to, you know, to say hi to Piper, but you don't really, and that way we can keep him in the background and we can keep him waiting in the aisles so that when we need him for a purpose or for something to happen, then we can bring him out and we can have that explanation later. Nice. And it, he would be able to use that that sort of the um, intoxicating uh, abilities would also be, I mean, helpful if he's going to be detaining people, right? Well, he'll be able to control it. So yeah. a lot of people will have a control maybe. So it'd be like a volume knob for a lot of these specials. They can go a little bit or they can just jack it up and turn it as far as they can. So in his instance, yeah. he can do a little bit and make you feel kind of like, oh, this is nice. Or he can jack it up and make you fall asleep. No, ho, ho. I like that. And uh, yeah, and detain you, or you can jack it up to where you don't fall asleep, but you're definitely under a drugged, you know, uh, whoa, what's going on here type of yeah. feel. And that's his. Inebriated and easy to manipulate. Yeah, or maybe he can make you feel different types of inebriation. Maybe he has a way to kind of like jack it around so that you feel like you're high, or you feel like you're stoned, or you're on cocaine. So maybe he can make you go in the opposite direction too. Because that'd be that's an instant. Cool. Uh, and I. <laughs> There's <laughs> so in these instances, like for Parker, did you do you remember the episode with Parker? 
I don't think so. Not off the top of my head. So Parker is a reason why um, the school faculty and the watchers get exposed to Addison. He She walks by, and he has a synesthesia uh, ability. So when he sings or talks or stuff, he can make other people feel, see, hear, or or uh, taste things with his voice. Oh, right. Okay, but I do remember that now. He's kind of fidgety, gets out of hand, and they have to put him down. So what we explained, though, and, and you know about uh, distortion, the drug, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay, so distortion gets pumped in there to, to dampen the powers, but then you know it's never explained as to why they fall asleep or why they pass out, and now we have a good explanation for that. This guy was waiting in the wings, and he puts him down. Now, the audience thinks it was because of the drug that was pumped in through the vents, but that's obviously too dangerous to normal people, and they can't have residues of that stuff lying around, so they use Norco to put these two asleep. Love it. That's perfect. <laughs> Man, that's a... Now we're cooking with gas. I'm excited. I have had so much fun going over these. I mean, this is, it's really neat to be part of this. I, I hope your other um, guests in the future get as much enjoyment as I am because I'm going to probably, again, not sleep super well this evening and get super, <laughs> just be super focused in on, you know, character development and all that stuff. It's fun. Well, and like I said, as much involvement as, as you want. I'm, I'm, I really want audience and whatever participation I, I i this is my thing but i feel like a lot of stuff that becomes something else you need to let it go and let it evolve into something else and and that's what i'm trying to do with this and and you guys the, the other guests that we've had and and some other people who brought this to are, are definitely evolving it into something more than i ever thought it could be so I really appreciate your time and your oh, absolutely, of and, course, and your thought process on the show. And and I and and again, I can't say this more more than once here. Yes, we need you back on here as much as you want. <laughs> uh, I am I am at your back and call. I will happily um, you know geek out with you over this. I'm ha it's you know it's just uh, I've always been into you know the fantasy world and um that type of thing and i don't know the history of it like as far as the you know the mythological history but um i love going down the rabbit hole and imagining you know that type of thing again you know the easily entertained only child i've there's all sorts of worlds happening up in you know this head of mine and you know goodness knows they need to be let out now and again <laughs> well keep this in mind then um, I love creating new characters and going down the rabbit hole for each one of these things. Um, and what I will be doing with a lot of these characters is creating their own story arcs. I need I need my superheroes and my supervillains, and they need their own comics and their own activities to do. And this, so when you create a character and you geek out and you think about these things at night, um, the editor. Okay, was brought on by Brady. Um, he's my actual editor. He edits all my stuff. No, oh, cool. Yeah, and he well, he uh, thought up the editor, and now we're actually story arcing off of that on season two, so we can tie into the Fey realm. So any characters you come up with, or anything you read on here and see, as far as anything that's in the plot, we can go off and create other episodes, other seasons of the podcast, and then go on to create productions of those graphic novels. So, oh, that's cool. Exactly, and you you can heavily influence those directions and the characters, storylines, and everything else. It's it's an imaginary sandbox, your own Minecraft that gets turned into a comic book. 
<laughs> I like that. That's a great analogy. <laughs> Only we'll call this one Mindcraft. Oh, boy. Come on now. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a dad, but that was a hardcore dad joke right there. <laughs> it's ingrained in me now. I it is, yeah. It. it just happens. It's like a switch that flips on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, <sighs> well, you and I have hit the hour and a half mark. Do you feel like you've got uh, enough audio? Uh, I don't think the only issue I'm running into is my uh, child time. I think. Sure. Uh, uh, do you think, I mean, how long was I, did I keep you waiting each time? Oh, I, I truly wasn't keeping track, but I, I do have one last little like notation on Addie that we could talk about if you wanted to. Let's flesh it out. I got all the time you want. Let's do it. <laughs> Fantastic. All right. So one of the things that intrigued me about her gift, the, you know, drawing of the landscape, tearing it, and then being in that place. Um, I sort of started thinking about how that might've presented itself. Like, you know, when it, whenever somebody has an ability, it usually, they may not realize, you know, that it's happening, but it like manifests itself in some type of way. And so as kind of, you know, like you said, maybe one of those like spinoff type things, maybe not appropriate for this specific um, storyline, but I was thinking of Addie as, you know, a young girl, she's like six or seven. Um, and something's happened where she's being like punished. And I mean, like, you know, kid go to your room kind of punished, not like torture kind of thing. Um, but she's, you know, she's been punished. She's in trouble. And Whatever it is, it's like an unfair situation. Like she got blamed for something and, and she truly didn't, you know, do what it was. So she's, you know, um, outraged. She has, she has the... a brother. Oh, fantastic. Then yeah. we'll blame it on the brother. So the brother does something. I mean, it's not, you know, life altering, but she gets in trouble for it and, and takes the rap and she is just peeved. Um, so I was thinking that. You know, at six or seven, she's, you know, beyond just like hoping to doodle inside the lines and, and things like that. You know, she's she's able to do a bit more, um, you know, creativity on her own. And so I was thinking that, you know, tr she's trying to calm herself down. You know, she's really worked up. She's trying to calm herself down. And she starts doing that classic drawing that we all do um, at that age, which is like, sun in the corner maybe he's wearing sunglasses maybe he's not it's really you know choose your own adventure but you know she's doing like that classic type of drawing she's not putting a lot of thought into it it is a landscape but it's like a you know a, a sort version. of a, yeah a kid version it's like a you know very childlike um and so i was thinking you know she's she's really trying to you know calm herself down by doing this and for whatever reason, her train of thought like turns around and takes her back to a point where she's getting worked up all over again. Um, and she's getting worked up and worked up. And so Start this is sort of harder on the paper. Yes. So scribbling is the key word. So instead of continuing on with her landscape, she starts making like these big black scribbles like across. I mean, she's just like tearing up this piece of paper and, and I'm sorry, not tearing it up. She's just like, you know, making these big, heavy, dark squiggles so that the landscape is essentially like obstructed um, in the background. And I was thinking that as sort of the little tiny prequel um, at the zenith of her anger, frustration, you know, that high stress that she needs to be under in order to access, um, you know, those powers, she has this like glitchy kind of spotty teleportation. It's, it's like over before it begins.
scribbling the paper. Maybe the crayon tears it. Maybe she like just, you know, picks it up and rips it down the middle. She's so upset and it triggers this like very sort of, like I said, glitchy sort of spotty teleport where she's, she's not all the way into it, but she is briefly in this world where she has created a landscape and she is absolutely engulfed, like almost suffocated by these like scribbles that she has dropped into the landscape. Um, and it's over, like I said, almost instantaneously, but she doesn't necessarily remember that memory happening, but she has nightmares about it. Um, and it's something where like, if she's having a bad dream, sometimes the bad dream is just scribbles and it doesn't really make any sense, but she has this terrible, like, sense of she was able to perceive it is through those scribbles exactly exactly so check this out i'm ready my issue i've been having with this book with this whole landscape series is coming up where i come in on the first chapter and how i introduce everything in this first chapter and Mm -hmm. what you've just done is given me my first chapter so when she's tearing and scribbling okay we'll, we'll go back a little further here um tatiana is the raven that's been following this family through the centuries and her family has the Addison's family is the family that this Raven or uh, Queen Tatiana of the fairies has mm-hmm. been following. Okay. And because she's in close proximity to these kids all the time. And, okay. It, it has an effect. They're able to be more powerful um, and, and, and touch the great mother a lot easier than anybody else's. That's one of the reasons she's why. like a signal booster. Exactly. So she's been in okay. contact with his family for a long time. The boy goes off and actually gets, uh, it's a demon boxer series that he's going to go on. It's kind of like my dark horror flick. Her brother is going to go down that path. Okay. But she, okay, um, when she gets in trouble or something happens, the, the raven pops up and helps her out in those situations. So what you've done in this instance is kind of done an introduction, not only to the ancient crazy-ass thing, evil, that's, that's sitting on the edge of the consciousness of everybody, okay? Mm-hmm. But you've actually, okay, so what's going to happen is, is we're going to go through your scenario, but she's not going to go into the crayon thing because she has to go someplace real that exists. She's going to go to this ancient partially through the scribble. Ooh. And it's going to activate this, his, his acknowledgement of this, of these two worlds or just her world. Okay. That it exists and he wants to go there and he knows it's been touched by another ancient and he wants to go inspect it. But since he's this giant crazy being, you know, it's just going to, it's, it, you know, it's not, it's not a good thing. Yeah. It's like, it's like a human coming over and inspecting an anthill, you know? Right, right, right. Yeah. Type it's not going to work out great for the ants. Exactly. And so she's going to initiate this factor without even knowing it as a child because of the signal booster from Tatiana. And she gets so emotional and so worked up and so stressed out by this. And her little drawing sends her in front of this thing. And the only way she can interpret that dream and that being in front of that thing is through dreaming about these dark scribbles yeah that's i mean and that would be a perfect way because it's not a place that she knows that exists but i mean she's you know the jagged landscape you know the sort of random um blackness of it all maybe is what she ends up seeing exactly and the and yeah yeah exactly and that's why she becomes an artist and that's why she's driven so hard to be an artist because when she dreams and has nightmares, it's of these scribbles. And yes. They, and they coalesce. And maybe maybe in her, inside herself, she's trying to, to kind of come to grips with what she saw. And, and maybe becoming an artist will help her 
finalize it. Yeah, and I love I love that it's actually taking her because one of the things that I struggled with. So the scribbles are actually um, a nightmare I used to have when I was a kid, and so it was like you know I feel like that, but she can't. I know in order for like you know to keep things cohesive, she can't just create like it's not like she can draw like a you know sports car and then like poof like she's in a sports car situation. So I was really sort of grappling with how to bring that into what you're trying to do for her reality. And I love that. That's a perfect way to do it. Well, get this. And, and, and I want you to really think, uh, like kind of envision it. So there's a little girl, she, she goes through your little drawing, but the last scene, okay, is that, or, or whatever, one of the scenes is just this little girl all of a sudden standing before this thing and this realm of, of just complete, absolute abject. It's not horror. It's complete alien. Okay, there's there's no way to understand or whatever, and she's it's this little tiny girl, and she's standing in front of this thing, looking at it and trying to comprehend what is in front of her, and it could be, I mean, massive and and just not, you know, and and that's the scene in the book, that's the hook, that's the thing that gets you like, whoa, what just happened? And yeah, then it goes what is that? Twenty years later, we're at Addison, twenty six years old. And and doing this and it's the start and but in reality her being a child and going through this this super traumatic otherworldly experience you know is is what triggers you know this this happening in the school later right it's like a, a catalyst to the whole yeah it it's upper elevates what she is and who she is and how it drives certain things and and for this story arc it'll it'll color it but it's not gonna it's not the driving force the driving force right now will be. Uh, the interrogator, Marshall, and his need to get back to the Fey realm. But the overall story in itself of Addison is, is colored by this huge, enigmatic, Cthulhu-like ancient thing that she sees as a child and goes to and experiences because of this scribble and heightened everything. Good job, Charlotte. That's awesome. Uh, yay, I'm excited. Yeah, and I think that'll be, like I said, I was really struggling with how to bring that into like the reality of the world that you've created. And, and that is awesome. I can't honestly, like to be totally transparent, all I'm doing is picturing the way Sarah's going to draw that. <laughs> you have been listening to story arc. I'm Trevor Sutton. This is Charlotte. I have had a fantastic time being a gigantic geek with you guys. Um, I am a longtime listener, first time caller. And I think that if you have any ideas based on listening to this podcast, that you should leave them in the comments below. Thank you. If you like my show and want to hear more, check out Stoic Tales 2018 at podbean.com and subscribe. Please comment and be part of the show and leave reviews on iTunes. Thanks.